man, I've gone through some difficult times in life. And man, having the Lord, I went through some difficult things without the Lord. I've gone through some difficult things with the Lord. Going with it with the Lord is a whole lot better. I can promise you that. And the reason being is He's such a God of love. He's such a God of presence. And He's such a God of power. He's a God of power. Hallelujah. And that's what we want to pick up on part two tonight on the Trinity of power that we started last Wednesday night. The Trinity of power. Because we serve a Trinity God. He's a God that's tripartite. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is all three in one, the Bible says. Go to the next slide if you would. He is a Trinity God. He is our God that we, we love, that we serve, but we were also created in His image. Here He made us a man. He made us body, soul, and spirit. There's a trinity of how He created us. Uh, we look at the Hebrew Bible and, and He got a trinity there in the Hebrew Bible where the Torah and the Nevi'im and the uh, Ketuvim are the three where you've got the Pentateuch and the, or the teachings and the, and the prophets and the writings all split up. He is a God that is a God of order and a God that, that has a purpose and a plan behind everything. There are three baptisms in the Bible that we read about in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit baptizes a believer into the body of Christ when they are born again. When you got born again, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ, the Bible says. It's a miracle. You become born again, a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're now joint heir with Jesus Christ. But then there's another baptism the Bible teaches about water baptism where a minister baptizes you in water. And then there's a third baptism the Bible talks about. And Jesus says, I'll take care of this one. I'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with power, fire. Hallelujah. So we see that God is a God of Trinity. And, uh, and in this, we're studying this Trinity of power. In Matthew 6, 13 following, Jesus came to the region Caesarea Philippi and he asked that question we've heard so many times. Who do men say that I am? And some say, well, you're John the Baptist, you're Elijah, you're Jeremiah, you're one of the prophets. And then he said, who do you say that I am? Who do you say God is to you tonight? Who do you say Jesus Christ is to you tonight? Is he your Savior? Is he your Lord? Is he your God? Is he the one who baptizes you into the, with Holy Ghost and fire? Is the power of God in you now by his Spirit through Jesus Christ? Who do you say Jesus is? And Peter said, "Thou art the 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 Christ. You're, thou art the Christ, the Son of the. I mean the uh, uh, the. Wow, I lost my place here. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And he says, "Father, uh, he said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter. This is from my Father that you see this. Who I am." And then Jesus goes on to say, "And I will build my church." and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Upon this revelation, this rock of knowledge that, that I am the Christ, the Christos, he said, I'm going to build a church, like ecclesia. I'm going to call folks out of their homes, and I'm going to call them together in assembly, and I'm going to make the church, he says, so powerful that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then he says this, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven so that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. We did this teaching last Wednesday night in detail. Go there if you need to, if you don't get it, but just this is an understanding that, from my understanding, it is uh, not God's heaven, but this mid-heaven, this second heaven where Satan and all of his angels or demon powers are working from because we don't want to be binding anything in God's heaven and loosening anything in God's heaven. God's heaven's perfect. We're praying for God's heaven to come to earth. His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we don't want to be changing heaven. We want heaven to be changing earth. That third heaven that Paul was called up to. That third heaven that John visited as well. But we don't want to be going in. So let's go to the second heaven and let's bind and loose the works of the enemy. He's given us authority. He's given us power. And uh, so we need to understand that and operate in that. The, he's made us a powerhouse. I know you may not feel powerful tonight, but I'm here to remind you, you are a powerhouse as you are part of the church of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 1, uh, 3, verses 1 and following, he said, mark this, that in the last time, the last days, there's going to be terrible times. People will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. They'll be boastful and proud and abusive and disobedient to their parents and ungrateful and unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous and without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And look at what he says in verse 5. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. 
I want, as your pastor, to make sure we're living our life that we don't have a form of godliness in this, this world that we live in that tricks us to lay down our authority where we deny the power. He says, have nothing to do with such people. So we want to be reminded that we have been given power. So in this trinity of power that we've been studying last week, we looked at the power in His Spirit. And the power in His Spirit. And it's all about a demonstration of His power. He has given us power to stand on earth, and whatever we bind on earth where we stand, He's given us these keys, that a power, that authority will be manifest in this heaven. And then whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in the heavenlies. Paul talks to us about that, talks to us about that warfare in Ephesians 6, verse 12. He says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our wrestle is against principalities and the powers and rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. Where? In these heavenly places. That's where the fight is. That's where you need to be exercising your power. You need to be coming against what the enemy is trying to bring against you and against this world and against the church. And you and I have that responsibility given to us. Ephesians 3 and 10, look at what he says here. He says, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by who? That it might be made known by who? The manifold wisdom and power of God is to be made known by the church to who? The principalities and the powers in these heavenly places. So He's given us the responsibility, He's given us the keys, He's given us the power that whatever we do standing here on earth, we bind it here on earth, it is bound in heaven, we loose it on earth, it is loose in heaven. He has given us Holy Ghost power. And we need to not deny it. We need to embrace it, we need to understand and let the power of God flow through us. Because power is bigger than performance and power is bigger than style and power is bigger than denominations and power is bigger than doctrine and power is bigger than cultural heritage. Please hear me. It's bigger than preference. It's bigger than anything. The power of God is what we need flowing in us and through us to bring forth the manifold wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, the power of God into these principalities and these powers in heavenly places by us, the church. It needs to be made known by the church. Amen. If the world's going to see it, the devil's going to see it, the demons are going to see it, God says it's going to be made known to them by the church. So we have to understand that we've been called to not only um, be rescued by the power of God, that we are to live in the power of God, live by the power of God, and let the power of God flow through us. Because there's limitations to what we can do, but there is no limitation to what God can do. God can do anything. All things are possible to him who believes. Amen? Because of the power of God. So a church without power, let me tell you what, it cannot operate because we live in a spiritual environment that is charged with the demonic powers of this second heaven trying to make manifold and make, make known their power. And if they do not come against any authorities, uh, then they're going to run rampant. And the Bible says until the rapture and the church is taken out of this earth, the spirit of the Antichrist might be already here, but he is being held back. He is being delayed. He is being denied full reign because of us, the church. And it's not that we're that great. It's that God has made us that great by his Holy Spirit. We have the power of God, but we can't deny His power. He said, don't even hang around people. Have nothing to do with such people that deny the power of God. Amen? So we serve a God who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. We need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded that we get dirt on our feet living on this earth, and this earth tries to tell us and diminish who we are. But let me tell you what, we get back to the Word, and the water of the Word washes that dirt off, and the light of the Word illuminates once again our path so that we can begin to keep running in the way that the Lord would have us live our lives so that circumstances don't change who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ brings forth change to our circumstances. Praise God. Come on now, we can't change God, but we can change our circumstances with God. Amen? So I've just come here to remind somebody tonight that you have been given power. Power. 
Holy Ghost power. There's power in the Spirit of God. Jesus says, John baptized you with water, but I'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. And then he says, you shall receive what? Power. What did Jesus say you'll receive? Power. After that, that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Let's receive the Spirit of God. There's power in His Spirit, and we must not deny Him. Somebody say amen. Amen. Then our second one we're going to pick up on tonight is power in His blood. There is power in His blood. Nothing can redeem you from the curse of sin. Nothing can redeem you from death. Nothing can redeem you from disease. Nothing can redeem you from destruction. Nothing can redeem you from poverty and bondage but the blood of Jesus. Only the blood of Jesus. We've been given some supernatural access to supernatural blood. The life of the creature is in the blood, but the blood of man and the blood of animals had limitation. But the blood of Jesus is sinless, and it has no limitation. And there's great power that comes to us through the blood of Jesus. So we as a church, we cannot be a church that denies the blood of Jesus. We need to embrace the doctrine of the blood of the Lamb of God. 1 Peter 1.18, the Bible tells us, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. Gold could not redeem you. It says your, your aimless conduct received by traditions of your fathers couldn't redeem you. Silver couldn't redeem you. None of this could redeem you. But look what he says in verse 19. He said there was one thing that could redeem you, and that was the precious blood of Jesus, of the, the, the precious blood of Christ, as, of, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So he's saying Jesus came and what all those lamb sacrifices were pointing to, he fulfilled it. We don't need another sacrifice. We don't need to wait on uh, someone else to shed blood. Jesus shed the blood that redeems us. And we need to understand that. He was pointing to this all the way back in Egypt, giving us a story of being in slavery and being in bondage and being mistreated and being in a struggle and having the circumstances against us. And he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. He says, I want you to take the blood of a lamb. It needs to be a spotless lamb. It needs to be an innocent lamb. And I need you to take its blood, shed it, and put it on the doorpost and the lintel of your home. And he said, get into that house. He said, there's a plague coming. There's destruction coming. But when the death angel sees the blood, he'll pass over your house. Your house is covered by the blood. Your house is protected by the power of the blood. And we know it was with that plague that Egypt gave up the Israelites. And Pharaoh said, get out of here. And they gave them all their gold and their riches and said, just get out of here. Whatever it takes, get out of here. And they left 400 years of bondage and slavery and circumstances that generationally did not look like they could change, change like that because of blood that was pointing to the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, if that happened in the Old Testament under a lamb's blood that was just a pointing or an arrow or a sign uh, uh, showing us what was yet to come, what should we be living under tonight when we have the blood of the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the sinless Christ, the Bible says, that is for us. So let's make sure we have the blood of Jesus over the doorpost and the lintel of our homes, over our lives, that we come under the blood of Jesus, that we're redeemed by His blood so that we can live in the supernatural glory that He has for us. That word redeemed there. I've shared this so many times, but I have to keep sharing it because I have to preach it to myself. And if I keep needing it, I'm assuming maybe you keep needing to hear it as well. But the word redeemed there means to purchase or pay a ransom or to buy back. It's like someone has been kidnapped and a ransom has been placed over them. And they said, you can have your son back. You can have your daughter back if you pay this ransom and when that ransom is paid and that child is released from harm's way and brought back into the father and the mother's home of blessing, that's what that word there is. And the Bible tells us in Revelation 5 and 9 that we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb of God. What Satan had on us, he didn't have on us anymore. What he was holding us hostage with, he cannot hold us hostage anymore. But if my people perish for lack of knowledge, if we don't know we're free, if we don't know the prison doors are open, 
we may spend the rest of our life living in that jail cell, not even trying to push it open because the lock has already been broken. The lock has already been opened by the blood of Jesus. So I'm here to say let's come up out of limitation and let's come up out of the prisons of our life and let's begin to live in the freedom that the Son of God has given to each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. So we need to see God's desire for us. And God's desire is for you to be blessed. God's desire is for you to be redeemed. God's re desire is for you to be filled with power. God's desire is that you be the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. God's desire is that you be blessed coming in and blessed going out. And if you deal with circumstances of negative nature in this world, you're blessed even going through the negative circumstances. How many need a touch of God even going through the valley of the shadow of death in this life? We need a touch of God. Well, let me tell you what. His blessing is available by the blood of Jesus. It is yours. That's why the Bible says that we as Christians, we don't even mourn like the world mourns because we've got supernatural access to an eternal life that goes beyond the 80, 90, or 100 years that we can invest here on this earth. Hallelujah! It is only but a, a moment what we have here compared to what God has for us throughout eternity. So God wants us, while we're here still on the ground, still living here, He wants us to be a living testimony and a lighthouse to who He is and what He has done and what He wants to do. And uh, He redeemed us to bring us back to His original intent. Now, when you get back to God's original intent, He tells us that in Jesus' prayer. When Jesus said, pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He said, I want things on earth to be like they were in heaven. Now, we know until the tribulation and until we know, uh, until the final judgment and all the things that are going to take place and there's a renewed earth and a new, renewed heaven, we know that there's going to be complication and a purging and judgment that is yet to come in this earth. But God says, you who are the light of the world, you who are the salt of the earth, He said, I want the earth to taste heaven and see what heaven looks like by being around you. I want heaven to be manifested through your life here on earth so that they can see my glory, they can see my goodness, they can see my favor, they can see my blessing, they can see my power in and through you, the church, who is to make manifold witness and, 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 and exposure of the power of God to these principalities. Who did he say? The church. The church. Hallelujah. So we look in heaven and was there sickness in heaven? No. Was there poverty in heaven? No. Was there... Drug addiction in heaven? No. Was there alcoholism in heaven? No. Child abuse in heaven? No. Hate, prejudice, racism, divorce, suicide in heaven? Nope, nope, nope. He said, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he wants heaven manifested in our lives. And the devil wants hell manifested in our lives. And that's the great battle. That's the great battle. So where's your faith? Is your faith in what you can see? Or is your faith in what you can hear the Word of God say? If you can hear what the Word of God says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word, your faith can arise and you can appropriate and take hold of what God has intended for us to taste here on earth. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm telling you, church needs to wake up and get to the buffet table and taste and see the goodness of God. I'm telling you, you'll fall in love with him over and over. You'll get out of a form of godliness and get back in relationship with the God of that form. Hallelujah. We need that in our lives. So we need to stand up as the redeemed of God, and we need to stand up as a redeemed child of God, and we need to fight. He says there's war. You, you, he gave us armor to put on. He says you're not out of the battlefield yet. There's, no, there's been no ceasefire called yet. There's been no end of, of victory called yet. He says, you got, you, you got battles you got to go through. Battles. So you, got, you need the armor, but you need to know who you are under that armor. Hallelujah. You're the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the living God, and you need to let the devil know that. Praise the Lord. said Revelation 12 and 11, I think it says there, they overcame him. Who? I put it lowercase. Yes, I did. I heard a preacher one time say, I'm afraid to put the S on Satan, lower case, because I'm afraid what he might do to me. Well, that preacher doesn't know who he is in Christ. 
If Jesus said, I've given you all authority over all the power of the enemy, and he by no means shall harm you, do you think I'm scared of the devil? Do you think I'm scared of the devil? If I've got the power of the Spirit of God and the power of the blood of Jesus, you know, the blood of Jesus be against you, devil. You know, so I, I, when I heard that preacher say that, I said, every time I have an opportunity just to punch, just to punch that one more time, I'm going to make it lowercase because he don't deserve an uppercase in my book, okay? But they overcame him, so there's my little punch, Satan, little lower S, lowercase s, by what? The blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. you got to believe in what the blood of the Lamb has provided for you. you got to testify. you got to say something. you got to say something. We live in a, a, a world, this spiritual world, that we're in this battle, and it's voice activated. you got to say to your mountain, be ye removed. you got to say something. you got to open your mouth. Whatever you say, Jesus said, whatever you say, if you believe that you receive, it's yours, it's done. But you got to believe that what you say will come to pass. you got to have faith in what you say. we got to use our mouth. Just like God said in the beginning, let there be light and the power of the Spirit of God that was hovering over the chaos of this earth took the Word and rode the Word and brought it manifest on this earth. The same is true today. The Spirit of God, the power of God is ready to bring to manifest the Word of God when we say it. We're created in God's image. We've got to say it. You can't just say anything. You've got to say the Word of God. You don't want to say a curse because the devil copies God and he's got demons on assignment ready to take your curse words or your cursings or your negative talk and bring it to pass because he's a copycat. But he's only trying to copy. Let me tell you what. That doesn't mean that's what we got to live by. We're going to live and be judged by every idle word that we say. So let's say what God says. Amen. That we're the redeemed of the Lord. That we are the head and not the tail. Come on now. Somebody needs to get a little excited here so that I won't be such a bland poor, a preacher up here. I might get excited. You get excited, I'll get excited. Hallelujah! Thank you, Lord. I love, I love the plan of God, especially when the devil uh, ups his and amps up his power display, and he tries to make the church afraid and the church back down. No siree. I say, you punch, I'm going to punch harder. See, I grew up with a brother. We were a year apart. Yeah, I don't know if you, you got brothers, you know, punch you on the shoulder, and punch him back too. Finally, it gets to where one says, I'm done, I'm done. I, I, I can't handle that anymore. Well, I'm, I'm like that with the devil, but I'm not just punching with my fist, my fist. I'm punching with the word of God because I know, I know he's got to give up. I know he's got to back down. I know the word of God is stronger than him. I know the blood of Jesus is more powerful than him. I know the spirit of God is greater than him. So I'm not even, I'm not even leaning backwards. I'm not even flinching when the devil comes at me. I'm leaning forward because I know, I know that if God be for me, who can be against me? That greater is he who is in us than he was in the world. We've got to know that. Hallelujah. So we are excited about understanding this trinity of power. And the second one that we're looking at is power that comes to us in His blood. Which, as you know, this has to set us up for the teaching that I've been sharing for a number of years, these, where Jesus shed His blood. You know, He said He shed His blood in seven places I find in the Scripture. And I believe if we're redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb then we've been redeemed maybe in these seven areas. I believe it's so, and I've found it to be so in my life, and I pray you would do the same. So as we look at the seven places Jesus shed his blood, redeeming us by his blood, giving us power of the enemy, let's examine them in part so that we can get a better whole understanding of this. So the first place we see Jesus shed his blood, and we're not doing them in chronological order per se, but we're just looking at these seven places, was the first one when he was in the garden. Now, I've got a fig, fig plant, fig tree here because I'm just going to come against uh, uh, the apple idea. Not that it really matters. It's really just kind of a joke. But I say the fruit, the forbidden fruit was a fig. And the evidence was found around there parts of their private parts of their body as when God came in the cool of the day they had sown, sown fig leaves the Bible says now why would the Bible say fig leaf why did it say that well I say well maybe it was just identifying if we, anybody wanted to know maybe it was a fig they ate it may have been an apple may have been a pear may have been a tomato in a tomato fruit you yeah, believe it or not it could have been a tomato but uh, 
I'm just laughing. So that's why I got my fig up. That's my little joke in the behind-the-scenes sermon here. Okay, if you find it comical, smile, laugh. If you don't, say, that poor preacher, he really got a dry sense of humor, nonetheless. But the Bible says that, that Eve was beguiled by the enemy and Satan violated the will of God. So that word beguiled means that she forgot who she was. So when Satan comes in as the most beautiful creature in the garden and he begins to converse with her, he tricks her and causes her to forget who she was. So when she eats of the forbidden fig, <laughs> okay, of the forbidden fruit, uh, you know, the Bible did not say that sin entered into the world. But when she gave it to her husband and Adam took and ate it, the Bible says at that disobedience, that act of disobedience, that he violated the will of God, that sin entered in. And New Testament tells us that by one man, Adam, sin came in and affected us all. How much more did by one man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, come to redeem us all from what Adam had brought in through his disobedience? So Luke 2, 22, 42 says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. So now, here's Jesus, 4,000 years later, in another garden. This first sin started in a garden, and here's Jesus, the second Adam, the last Adam the New Testament calls him, in another garden. And here he is going through the same test. But he says, Father, not my will be done, but yours. He said, this is tough, what I'm going through here. And if there's any other way, let's do that. But not my will, your will be done. And the Bible says an angel appeared from heaven and strengthened him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then he, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. Now remember, we are redeemed by the blood of, of the Lamb. So when the first Adam sinned and brought in, he gave up. He said, Father, not your will, but my will be done. He sold our willpower over into Satan's kingdom. He, he just gave it up, and that sin came in, that bondage came in, that imprisonment came in. And now God says, I have blood all through the Old Testament showing you that the blood of my son is coming that will completely sever and release you from everything that the sin has brought against you uh, once and forevermore. So we see that Jesus, first place he sheds blood. Now blood, we're redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. The, the first place he sheds blood is in a garden and it's dealing with this willpower of coming through this test, of a hard test, and saying, Father, not my will, but thy will be done, and he sweats great drops of blood. Well, I believe right there that we were redeemed, that the purchase price was paid, the ransom note was met, so that any and everybody now by the power of the Holy Spirit can say yes to God and no to the devil. I believe that you can preach the gospel in any nation, in any tongue, in any tribe, in any land, and you've got the Holy Ghost bringing conviction to bring every person there to the, to the, to you might say the decision point of whether they can say yes to God and no to the devil, and they can't, it, there's no excuse, there's no excuse, because Jesus shed blood to free us, free our willpower up, that we were not bound to Adam's decision and Adam's mistake, but now we can make a decision for ourselves, and the Holy Spirit brings conviction and brings His presence and power to help us in that decision, just like these angels came and ministered to Jesus. So that should give every one of us the, uh, the encouragement to testify and tell others about Jesus and the love of God and the plan of salvation, knowing that the Holy Spirit is working on them and through you and, and to them to bring them to whether they're going to say yes or no to, to God. But they can do it. They have, they have no excuse. They can say yes to God. Hallelujah. So you need to tell your family, you need to tell your friends, you need to tell the strangers that the Lord leads you to about Jesus Christ and His great love. Come on now. And this also means that for every drug addict and every alcoholic and every man or woman battling with their willpower can know that the blood of Jesus bought back your willpower and there's power in His blood and there's power in His Spirit and the Spirit of God by the, by the provision of the blood of Jesus 
will help you say no to a life of bondage and yes to a life of freedom in Christ. Hallelujah. The world says once a junkie, always a junkie. That's what the world says. But the Word says, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And some of you in here could dance a big dance because of the freedom that the Lord that God has given you over some of the bondages that Satan had over your life. Then there's another place that we see Jesus shed His blood. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah 53 and 5, He was wounded for our transgressions and He was bruised for our iniquities. They took Him, blindfolded Him, beat Him, and said, prophesy if you're a prophet. Prophesy! Tell us who is hitting you. Prophesy! And Isaiah says that His body was so beaten and so swollen and so bruised that He was beyond recognition. His mother could not have walked up and even recognized that that was her son had she not known that was him. He could not be recognized. Rocky Balboa has nothing on him after coming through one of his fights. Jesus was bruised, he was beaten, and and here there was a reason for that. And he tells us right here in Isaiah 53 and 5. He was wounded for our transgressions, and go back to that one. He was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. See, when you're wounded, the blood flows out and it cleanses the laceration. He bled out to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to cleanse us from sin. And all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You can look to your right, you can look to your left, you can look ahead of you and you can look behind you and you can look at the pastor up here on this platform and you see a sinner. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But let me tell you what, the gift of God is eternal life, and not only eternal life, but the blood of Jesus will cleanse us and wash us white as snow, taking, removing from us our sin as far as the east is from the west and casting it in the sea of forgetfulness. Let me tell you what, we need to rejoice in the fact that Jesus bled out to cleanse us. He shed His blood, but it says He also was bruised for our iniquities. Now, the word iniquity in the Old Testament is a Hebrew word that means that which is passed down from generation to generation. Iniquity is the weakness on the inside. See, the Bible doesn't say the sins of the Father will be passed down from generation to generation. It doesn't say that. The Bible says the iniquity of the Father will be passed away passed down from generation to generation. The reason the sin is not passed down from generation to generation because the blood washes the sins away, but the iniquities are passed down. It's that weakness on the inside. It actually is the word in the Old Testament for earthquake or or fault line. It's a fault line. It's a weakness that's under the surface of the earth or under the surface, and when pressures are just right, it pops up again. It causes destruction again. So so here, Jesus was bruised for our iniquities. He didn't say our transgressions, but our iniquities. So not only is our sin being cleansed by the the transgressions, and our transgressions and sins cleansed by the blood of Jesus bleeding out, but the bruising had a point as well because a bruise is a bleeding under the skin. That's why you swell, for the blood is released under the skin, but it's not released out of the body. So it swells and it turns dark and, and, it's, and it's very, very uh, painful. Then he was bruised to take care of that which passes underneath the surface of the skin. And let me tell you what, I rejoiced when I got this revelation. Uh, years back, I did not know this revelation and I always lived in fear. My, my, there was a lot of men in my family A lot of men lived broken lives. They were alcoholics. They were drug addicts. They are broken families, broken homes, broken abuse. I mean, uh, just, just the story goes on and on. And anybody that would come out of our community with my last name and be male People already marked you. You're gonna. You, you're a. You're a wife beater. You're a. You gonna be a drunk. You're gonna be a drug addict. You're gonna. You're gonna live in poverty. And all they would just speak this stuff because they knew the Lambert. You know they, that was just what they would say. And it was not good. And I remember when I got this revelation, I stood up and I took and I stomped my foot down and I said, Jesus, I will not let you. Go through, have gone through the bruising, that beating and bruising that you went through in vain. This day, 
I tap into, I appropriate, I take hold of by faith your, your, what you bought for me when you were bruised and when they beat you and you were bruised. You took care of my iniquities. That which I did not earn, I was born with it. I was born with heart disease. I was born with the inclination to diabetes. I was born with this inclination to uh, high blood pressure or whatever it was that, that we, we say, that, you know, doctors even recognize it. You go in, you fill out a form. They want to know what does your family had history, if they had cancer, if they had this, they had that, because they know iniquities are real. And they want to know what iniquities are underneath the surface of you so that they can maybe help you and lead you to not or catch that before it becomes full-blown. Well, I set my foot down and I screamed at the devil. I maybe didn't need to explain, uh, explode like I did. But I was so excited. And I said, I will not and my sons will not be alcoholics and I will not and my sons will not live in poverty and I will not and my sons will not die of cancer and my sons and I will not have heart disease and I just began to everything that was ever said and I said even that which is unseen that which I don't even know if it is iniquity I come against you with the blood of Jesus that Jesus was bruised for my iniquities and I'm not going to live with them anymore and I severed the tie. And I got mad and I got mean. And I said, and I dare you to even follow me when I leave this room. And I walked out of that room and I just said, if I hear a footstep behind me, I'm going to jump on it like you can only imagine. Because you got to get serious. This is serious stuff that we're talking about here. Hallelujah. And I'm healthy as a horse. I'm healthier than a horse. Because some horses get a lot of attention. They get more attention than I get. They get fingernails, their toenails. They get a lot of brushing and cleansing. I don't get all of that. So I'm, but I'm healthier than a horse. Hallelujah. And I'm not a drunk. I can tell you that. I don't even drink. I don't even play with it. I've seen it ruin too many people's life. You say, well, it's cool in the 21st century to sip on it. You can sip on it if you want. But that rotten mess that comes in to destroy liver and mind is not coming in my body. I've seen the destruction it brings. Come on now. And then there's another place he shed his blood. The third place I have is by his stripes. Isaiah 53 and 5 says that the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And then Peter says, I don't want you to forget this. So the Holy Spirit tells him to write to us, whom himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Isaiah's pro prophesying, and his prophecy is so powerful, he says if you believe in the prophecy of the Lord, that what it says is yet to come is already yours. You see that? So in Isaiah 53, he says by his stripes you are healed before he even has shed his stripes, because if you've got faith in what God has promised he's going to do, just to, his, God is so powerful that faith in just his promise, even before he's fulfilled it yet, it brings forth the manifest of the promise. So healing was theirs in the Old Testament if they had faith to believe in what the prophet of God had said. But Peter's reminding us that this is a done deal. You are healed. This has been done. You just got to take hold of it. You got to believe in it. You got to receive it because you've been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. By His stripes we are healed. And it emphasizes His stripes. And the Bible talks about the 39 stripes, 40 save one, that they would uh, beat the person at the whipping post with. So if Jesus was beaten 39 times, 39 stripes, and the Bible specifically mentions the stripes, let me tell you what, they've done a study and they found that there are 39 known root diseases from which all diseases flow. Now, to me, that's not a coincidence. If you can take every disease and if you'll boil it down, it comes to one of 39 roots, and Jesus took 39 stripes upon His back for what? our healing, I think God is trying to make a point that there's power in His blood. Hallelujah. There's power in His blood. Praise God. And then another place He shed His blood. We see that they took those crown of thorns and they three and a half inch thorns pressed down on His brow. And as they pushed those thorns down upon His brow, the blood began to flow. Uh, the Bible tells us in Genesis 3, 18 and 19, 
he says, Cursed is the ground uh, for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. By thorns and thistles you shall bring forth and you shall be able to eat of the herbs of the field. And by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. So 4,000 years after the curse of poverty that sin brought on to mankind, we've got another Adam called the last Adam taking what? Upon his brow, thorns and thistles, but not to release sweat. He's sweating drops of blood because sweat in itself wouldn't have redeemed us from the curse of poverty, but the sweat of blood would because we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. So let me tell you what, the, he took the very symbol of, of, of poverty and they were mockingly trying to say, look at you as a king, but what the devil did, the devil's so dumb, the devil tries to play chess with God and he's going to lose every time. When he thinks he has a move that he's going to take God down, God uses that move to say checkmate every time. Hallelujah. And here, the devil's mockingly saying, come on, put a crown of thorns on his head if he's a king of the Jews, if he's a king of kings. And when the crown of thorns representing poverty came upon his brow, where the curse came and sweat flowing from it with thorns and thistles, he would uh, 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 have a living of poverty. Now, there he sweat great drops of blood. Hallelujah. Not sweat great drops of blood, but the blood of those thorns mingled with the sweat of his brow. And there he redeems us from the curse of poverty. When I got that, Pastor Rodica and I were living on a trampoline. We got on the trampoline, the kids' trampoline. You know, we had one, and and uh, storm blew it, tornado that came blew it in a tree. So we got another one. So you know, we just get another. Uh, we got on it, Pastor Rodica and I. So we Townsend put it together, and uh, we, the kids went to bed, and we said, well, "We gonna play." So we was out there playing. And it reminded me, it reminded me before I had this revelation. Before I had this revelation, I lived in a little parsonage that used to sit out here about where that green box is out in the parking lot, looking, a uh, backyard looking over the backyard of the property we're now acquiring. Little old house, we shared half of it with the church. You walked into the front door, some of you remember, and uh, we had furniture around the edges because the termites had eaten all the floor joists out. I got contractors to go under there, and they said, you don't want to spend any money on this thing. There's no, I said, go jack up the floor joists. Go put some, some temporary blocks under there. They said, there's no floor joists. I said, I have to be floor joists. They said, no, there's no floor joists. He said, the termites has eaten everything except your tongue and groove floors. That's the only thing holding it together. That's why it was a trampoline. You could just stand there and you could trampoline in the middle of the living room, in the middle of the bedroom. There's some places we had to put furniture over because they'd eaten through the floor and there was a hole there. There was just a big old hole. We had rugs over it and furniture over that so nobody would step there and fall through the hole. And, uh, and we were thanking God that we had a roof over our head. Had this spirit of poverty on us. We said, oh, thank you, Lord. We're suffering for Jesus. She told us Sunday how we smelled like mold. I'd get up one morning, went in Townsend's room, and the whole wall was black from the ceiling to the floor. And I'm like, I thought he'd gotten into some spray paint or something. And was, you know, he's a little old fellow, but I'm like, did he spray paint the wall? It was that mold. Can you imagine it? I'm bleaching that in the rooms and bleach all the time, and it would come by. It's like you couldn't, couldn't get rid of it. And we smelled. We didn't realize we smelled like we did, but we moved into the new house. We are like, man, we stink. And we started washing all the clothes and everything and uh, got rid of all the old furniture. We said, get that stinky stuff. One, one sofa went, and we put it on the back porch. I'm from the country, so you can put a sofa on the porch, you know. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> but it was an upstairs deck that nobody could see. And uh, I, 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 I graduated a little. Amen. But uh, so it was like, wow. But we had to get this revelation. That we are not, not that we want a jet set around the world. We've got nothing to prove, but we are God's children. And I wouldn't allow one of my children, I would work seven jobs if I had to, to make sure my daughter or my sons don't live in those conditions. And how much greater and more loving is our Heavenly Father? And, and I got this revelation and I put an end to it. I said, the curse of poverty ends right now. And, we, and God spoke to me and he says, you have just opened the dam 
of many streams that will flow into many rivers that will flow into an ocean of wealth by which I will bless you and through you I will bless the nations of the world. So there's wealth coming into my life that's not just going to be a blessing to me and not just a blessing to this church and not just a blessing to, to the United States but to the nations of the world. Come on now. And, and because of what Jesus did when the devil thought he was getting the upper hand putting those crown of thorns on his brow. Blood release there the redeeming power to redeem you from the curse of poverty. And then they took and they nailed his hands. The Bible says they nailed his hands to the cross. If you want to kind of see what that looks like, just see Brother Harry after the service. He's got some, uh, showing me some cute little scars he's got there. It looks like Jesus. Uh, in the next play, he's going to have to play Jesus for sure. And I got him just right. But Jesus uh, was nailed to the cross. See, when Adam fell, Satan became the authority in this world. But Jesus says, I've come to give you the authority back. The church. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. I'm going to make it possible for whatever you bind and whatever you loose on earth will be bound and loose in this heaven. And he says, so much so, I want you to go and lay hands on the sick. Isn't that a great commission? If we go into all the world, and one of the things we do is lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It's not necessarily that your hand is all that. It's that your hand represents the hand of Jesus that redeemed us from authority, or redeemed us and gave us the authority back to usher heaven back to earth. I can't heal a gnat, not that I would try, but I can't heal a gnat. But let me tell you what, the healing virtue of Christ flowing through me can bring healing into any sick and, and diseased body, and God gets all the glory. Hallelujah. So you have your authority, but you got to take it back. And then they nailed his feet to the cross. What did he say? Wherever you go, tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How is that? That we as a church, wherever we go, we are to tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Because he redeemed our feet that now wherever the soles of our feet shall tread upon, he said, I've given that to you. So when you walk in the marketplace, you need to claim it for Jesus. When you walk into your neighborhood, you need to claim it for Jesus. When you walk into your friend's house and you don't even know if they're serving the Lord, you need to claim them and their household for Jesus. You need to start uh, exercising in the authority that you have. And you don't even have to say anything about it. You can just say, I placed the soles of my feet on this house and I'm claiming this household to Jesus. They're going to start dreaming dreams like they've never dreamed before. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is going to be so fresh and new. They're going to be calling me or calling someone saying, where's a good church? Where's somewhere? I need to hear more about God. And they're going to be drawn to God and they're not even going to know why, but I'm going to know why because while I had opportunity and I was there, I was ushering in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. And then the final one, the seventh place Jesus shed his blood, is when Jesus is hanging on the cross. The prophet had prophesied that not one bone in his body would be broken. And now we are thousands of years later, and, uh, and here Jesus is hanging on the cross, and there was not even crucifixion that was done when the prophet said that not one bone in his body would be broken, prophesying about the Messiah that was coming. Didn't have a clue about crucifixion at that time and the practice of crucifixion, which is this, to die on the cross would be to die of asphyxiation. You're hanging there. It is a long days and days and weeks at times for those who were really strong-willed and strong in body as they would scrub their ripped and torn back up and down, standing on those nailed feet to exhale and inhale and keep breathing. So as they're slumped there, they cannot inhale. So they would have to, they would, they would inhale, but they could not exhale. So as they would push themselves up to release those poisonous gases and then take in another breath of oxygen and then they would slump back down. As long as their feet would give them strength and their legs to do that, they could go on for days. But the Bible says because it was the Sabbath at sunset that the Jews wanted to make sure that this Jesus, it was all about what was going on with them, and they're the one brought the accusations against him, that he could not be hanging there on the cross. So they would break their legs if it was a situation like this so they could no longer push up exhale and inhale and suffer another two minutes, three minutes, or however long they would go before the next routine of that.
So they went to the thief on the left and they uh, broke his legs. Went to the thief on the right and they broke his legs. But the Bible tells us in John chapter 19 that when the soldier came to Jesus, he didn't know why, but the word of God had been prophesied through a psalm, through the psalmist saying, not one bone in his body shall be broken. And he didn't know why he did what he did, but we know why he did what he did. And rather than break his legs, he looks and says, wait a minute, he's already dead. Because you remember Jesus says, it is finished, and he gave up the ghost. So Jesus said, nobody takes my life, I give it. So he gave it. And the soldier said, this one's already dead. But there again, playing chess, the devil says, well, while we've got the spotlight on this, let's make a mockery of it, and let's just take and drive a spear in his side. And they drove a spear, this soldier did, in Jesus' side. And John tells us that as he pierced his side, immediately blood and water came out. That's what the Bible says. And when the Bible gives you details like this, there's a reason it gives you details. And you can study that and find that Jesus, that is a sign that Jesus did not die of asphyxiation. That when he said, I give up the ghost, he said, it is finished. It was not that he let the poisonous gases of the carbon dioxide kill him because he was unwilling to stand up and breathe again. But it literally means that his heart that the pericardium site was so full of water around it that when you go through stresses like this will happen and that congestive heart failure is beginning, but then his heart burst. His heart broke open and that blood mixed with that water in that pericardium sac and it would have never been exposed, it would have never been known unless this soldier who led by the devil thought like once again with the crown of thorns, thought, well, let's just do something extra mean and pierced his side. And God brought revelation to us that there Jesus died of a broken heart. His heart broke open and the blood were redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. And Jesus' first sermon he ever preached, if you remember, he said, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. That means for every person who's been lied on and every person who's been abandoned and every person who's been abused, and I know what that feels like, and, I, and every person that's had anything that the enemy's tried to do to those people closest to you to hurt you and break your heart and destroy your, your reason for living, Jesus says, I'm going to let my heart break so that your heart can be made whole. So this means that just because you were abused, just because you were abandoned, just because you were lied on. There was a traitor in your life. There was family that turned on you. There was a friend that turned on you. There was a marriage that fell apart. There was a partner in business that took the money and destroyed your life and reputation. Let me tell you what, the devil tried to use those things to break your heart, a circumstance that would break you. But Jesus says, I've shed my blood so that I can redeem you. Let him take and touch and heal your broken heart today. I'm telling you, you don't need to live with that brokenness anymore. You don't need to live. You've been, you were molested. That wasn't right. But that what that person did should not control the rest of your life. It shouldn't limit the rest of your life. That physical abuse should not mark the rest of your life. That false accusation should not taint the rest of your life. You may have been raped. You may have been cursed. But I'm telling you, the blood of Jesus that that soldier let us see was shed to redeem you of a broken heart. So tonight, you can see it stops right here. God's going to turn my hurt into a halo. God's going to turn my scar into a star when I claim the blood. When I claim the blood. Because there's power. Let me tell you what, there's power in His blood. There's power in His blood. I preach the Word to you so that you can hear the Word, so that your faith can come and at the hearing of the Word, so that you now can work your faith and take hold of everything that Jesus Christ has provided for you. And you can appropriate it, make it real for you right now. Healing brokenness 
iniquity, those tendencies towards those weak areas can be broken off of you tonight, tonight. Poverty broken off of you tonight. Let me tell you what, the devil is a liar. Stop listening to his lies. Start listening to the truth. And the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Will you receive all that He has for you through the power of His Spirit and the power of His blood? Will you receive it tonight by faith? Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Father, we just stand here. Lord, we were born, as you know, into this broken world, this cursed world. Lord, you know we were born into this sin. And we were born among sinners, and sinners sin. And there's been a lot of negative things said about us. And there's been a lot of negative things done to us. And Lord, there's been a lot of negative things that we've done through us. We've participated in. But Lord, we thank you that even though we were born into this brokenness, you have a plan to make it right. You have a plan to strengthen us. You have a plan for a new birth, a new beginning, a new creation, and a new life for us. And Lord, we don't have to wait till we get to heaven. You want us to usher in and pray in heaven on earth in our lives so that we can be like a lighthouse, so that we can be a beam of hope, that we can be your glory reflecting off of us as the sun reflects off of the moon. We have no source of light in ourselves, but we reflect your glory and your presence and your honor. So Lord, I want to make myself, as I encourage everyone under the sound of my voice, that we all would make ourselves the mirror of your reflection, Lord that we would align ourselves as the moon would align itself to the sun, that we can be the reflection of you in a dark world. They can look up and see the light is still there. The light is still shining somewhere. Lord, the people need to know of your love. They need to know of your power. They need to know of heaven. They need to know of eternity. They need to know of your plan of redemption. So Lord God, we make ourselves available tonight to be used by you. Lord God, to manifest your glory, to make known to these principalities and these powers and rulers of darkness and these high places, to make known your manifold wisdom, your manifold presence, and your manifold glory by us, the church. Lord, we stand up to be who you've created us to be. And Lord, to thank you for what you have provided for us in and through the shedding of your blood. So Jesus, right now, thank you that we can say yes to you and no to the devil by the power of the Holy Spirit because of your blood, because you sweat great drops of blood. Thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to say because of sickness and disease and weakness and infirmity in my life, iniquity in my life, that I will always be predisposed to that. No, we stop it right now. And we say, Lord, you set me free. And I'm going to shine forth the light of your healing power and your deliverance and your glory and your presence. Lord God, let that the crown of thorns be a reminder to us tonight that we're not going to live in poverty, that we're not going to live as takers, that we're not going to live as ones that are always trying to see what's the next thing and the next sad story that can get us by. No, let us rise up and be the river used of you that supplies into this world, that supplies into advancement of your gospel, that supplies into winning nations to the kingdom of God, that brings an increase everywhere we go for your glory and your honor. Lord God, let us rise up in authority and lay hands on the sick authority and we would go forth and exercise the authority you've given us, the power of Jesus. Let us walk into the homes and walk into the hospitals and walk into the highways and the byways and everywhere we go, establish your kingdom. Hallelujah. And Lord God, let us not go out of here tonight with that lie of the enemy speaking in our ear evermore that we're we are the raped we are the abused we are the molested we are the abandoned we are the cursed we are a nothing we're not important we're unloved anything that he's saying to break our hearts oh tonight god we receive your healing virtue to heal our broken heart that we will not act out of the emotion of the weaknesses and the pain 
and the and the uh, you know the scaredness, that fear that comes from that broken heart. But God, that our hearts can be healed and made whole tonight. Hallelujah. And Lord God, we come around Brother Frankie tonight, Lord God. And Lord, as he as a spiritual giant, more than he can even imagine more than he can see in the natural, in the spiritual. You've raised him up. He and his wife and his daughter as spiritual giants in his family. As a lighthouse that's going to help the ships that are in trouble, the family members that are in trouble. And it looks like there's going to be shipwreck and it looks like they're going to hit the rocks and they're going to run into each other, but they're going to see the light of your love and the light of your power and the light of your presence shining through this family. And it's going to help them find safety in this, this traveling that they're going through now. Lord, we go ahead and claim that in the name of Jesus. And Lord God, we pray as, as the old lighthouses had to refill the oil to keep the oil, to keep the lamp burning. Lord God, that you, Holy Ghost, would refill them. You would strengthen them. You would overflow through their life, Lord God, so that they know it's not their strength, but your strength flowing through them. Comfort them, we pray, Lord God, as you strengthen them and each and every one in here, Lord. And now, Lord God, as we close, I just feel like you just said that we're just to reach out and take somebody, lay, take somebody by the hand or lay your hand on their shoulder, but there's just a, the exercise that authority right now. You have authority in the touch. Not that you have power in your hands, but the power of God wants to flow through you right now. And I want you to release by saying the words. I want you to release. I release blessing. And I, re I release redemption power. Whatever you need, God knows the need. So whatever you need, I release the power of God to meet that need in Jesus' name. Be blessed. Tell them, be blessed. Tell them, be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God.